The burnt offering, of course, is not eaten. It's not eaten. It's burnt. However, the sin offering and the guilt offering are both eaten. And there, eating, eating it, is mitzvah, I say, the eating of the sin offering. And guilt offering is a positive commandment. Shenemar, as the verse says, we asher kupar bohem. And they shall eat the sacrifices which brought about atonement. Who eats? Who eats the sin offering? Who eats the guilt offering? The answer is hakohanim, the kohanim. Ochlim eat, uba'olim, miskaprim, and the owners, the ones who bring it, receive atonement. The kohen eats. And the person receives atonement. Huadin, the same law applies, Lashar HaKadoshim, to all other sacred offerings. Sha'ichlin, Eson, HaKayanim, which the Kohanim eat. Kohen, Kohanim are the ones who eat most of the offerings. Sha'achi, lost on mitzvah. It's not that they may eat it. They must eat it. Their consumption of the offering is a mitzvah expression and fulfillment of a positive commandment. This does not only apply to animal sacrifices, it also applies to achilas, the consumption, the eating of shiore minoches, of the leftover meal offerings, flour, the koinim have to eat that as well. Mitzvah sasei, it's a positive commandment, shenem as it says in the verse, and that which, which remains from it after it was placed on the altar and smoked on the altar, yechlu, Aaron of Aaron and his sons, the high priest and the priest, shall consume it. Who amongst the koinim can eat it? Can Mrs. Cohen eat it? I'm glad you asked. The answer is no. The ein chatos, the osham, ushiori minochas, and the sin offering, the guilt offering, the leftover flower offering are not necholin eaten. Ela only lezichrei kahuna bazora, which means now let me put it in English. It is only eaten by the male kohenim, not the female kohenim, only in the courtyard, not in Jerusalem in general. Which means that these holy of holy offerings are limited to the kohenim who serve the male kohenim, not their families. We have many other gifts which are given to the families, but these are super holy offerings. They are limited to the male kohenim, and also they are limited geographically as well. They may only be eaten in the confines of the holy temple courtyard. What if they were eaten in the holy temple itself? The holy temple is in the courtyard. What if the Kohen, for some reason, which we can't understand, went into the holy temple and ate it? Nechlo, that's fine too. It's not appropriate, but it's okay. Shanam, as it says, all of their meal offerings, all of their sin offerings, all of their guilt offerings, they may eat it in the holy of holies, every meal. So that means that although it should be eaten in the courtyard, if for some reason it was eaten in the vestibule itself, in the holy temple itself, it's okay. And so also, the peace offerings of the community, we learned and we will learn about individual peace offerings. They have a much more liberal interpretation, much more liberal application. They can be taken out of the Holy Temple. They can be eaten by the donor owners. But here we're talking about the communal peace offerings. They are defined in a very similar manner to the sin offering and the guilt offering. As we have already explained. Now we talked about the fact that there is also the gift of the breast and the thigh of the peace offering, which means that when someone brings a peace offering, he gets to take most of the animal home. The emurim, the parts offered on the altar are offered on the altar. And the Kohen gets the breast and the thigh. Who gets to eat that? That portion given to the Kohen of the peace offering. This has a much more liberal application. Nechol, and this can be eaten. Lakonim, to anyone who is of the Kohen family. Schorim, unikavis, male and female. Because that's not so much a ritual as it is a benefit. Shanam, Arbohem, as it says, with regard to this. Lechol, nesatim, to you I have given this. Ulevonecha, and to your sons. Vilevnesecha, and to your daughters, male and female. Bechain, and so also along the same lines. Hamburam, that which is lifted up, separated. Mitaida, from the thanks offering which we learned about earlier. Hamburam, and that which is set aside. Me'el, Nazir, from the ram of the Nazirite. What he calls Muram is like elevated portions. Shanam, as it says, Keltrum, all of the elevated portions of the holy Asher Yorimu Yisrael, which the Jewish people shall elevate Lashem to God how do you give something to God? you give it to the Kohen so this also that which is given to the Kohen of the thanks offering that which is given to the Kohen of the Ram of the Nazarite goes to the Kohen his sons and his daughters why? in simple terms it's a lesser level of holiness this is Kodshim Kalim the lesser level of holiness unlike the sin offering and guilt offering and the balance of the meal offerings which are called Kodshim Kodoshim holy of holies only the Kohen in the courtyard now we also learned that there are three categories of Offerings called Bechor, the firstborn, Masa, the tithe, and Pesach, the Paschal offering. So he goes on to define what happens to this, one at a time. Chayab Bechor is also the firstborn animal. The firstborn animal is given by the farmer to the Kohen for his own personal benefit, but it's a sacrifice. It says that the flesh shall be to you, the Kohen, like the elevated breast, and like the right thigh, which means it's for the family. Now, another important rule is that any 
sacrifice that could be eaten by the female Kohanim, which means the family, Nechalim can also be eaten by the slaves of the Kohanim, because they are their property, as will be explained in the laws of slaves. Of course, nowadays we don't have the whole application, but back then the idea was that a slave becomes part of the household, and the Kohen has to support him, so therefore he can eat of the holy foods. The verse talks about daughters. Wives are the same as daughters. They're also extensions of the Kohen. Kitruma, like the application of the Truma foods, which we learned about extensively earlier, where may all these foods be eaten? Throughout the entire city. Which city are we talking about? We're not talking about Pakoima. We're talking about, not even Sherman Oaks, we're talking about Jerusalem. That's the city. Shenemar, as it says, the breast of waving, of lifting, of tnufa, they shake a and the thigh of the heave offering. Teichlu, you must eat. Bimokin, Torah, in a pure place. I'll give you a hint. Whenever the Torah says, Bimokin, Kodosh, it's in the sanctuary area. It's in the temple courtyard. Mokin, Torah, is Jerusalem. Like Nehemiah, Abraham, Bimokin, Kodosh, it doesn't say Bimokin, Kodosh, which would connotate the temple courtyard. It says a pure place. Shukamach, Israel. Back in the desert, this would have applied to the Israelite camp. In later times, it applies to the whole city of Jerusalem. Corresponding to the Israelite camp in the Bible would be later, in future generations, Yerushalayim, the whole Jerusalem. So that's the Bechor, which is a sacrifice which the Kohen takes home and shares with his family. In Jerusalem, the Huadi, in the same general law applies. Lemaser to the tithe, or Pesach to the Paschal offering, Shane, Shane, and Kachin, because they have a lesser level of holy food. Kishlamim, similar to Shlamim. So, therefore, the same laws apply as already detailed as to who gets to eat the Maser and who gets to eat the Pesach. Now he says, We discussed this also extensively earlier that there were windows set in the thickness of the wall, and there were other areas set in the thickness of the wall itself. So, the question is, is that considered part of Jerusalem or not? He says here, yes, it is, as long as you're within the exterior limitation of the wall, you're in Jerusalem. Now we segue to a whole different law, a very important law, and that is expiration dates. Every sacrifice expires. Every sacrifice has a different expiration time, all specifically enumerated in the Torah. When somebody eats of a sacrifice past the expiration time, he's committing a terrible transgression. What are the different expiration times? I'm glad you asked. Vav, six, hashlomim, peace offerings in general, necholim may be consumed, may be eaten, biyom, azvichah, the day of the offering. Bechol halaylo, and that whole night, bechol yeimamochas, and the next day, until the sun sets. So let's take a simple example. If a peace offering is offered on Tuesday, then it could be eaten any time Tuesday. Of course, it takes time to process it. Tuesday night, Wednesday. When the sun sets Wednesday, it expires. Shenemah, as it says in the Torah, very clearly. Biyom hakribo, as if on the day that he offers his offering. Yeyochel, may be eaten, which in my scenario was Tuesday. Omimachas, on the next day, which in my scenario was Wednesday. As the verse says, Biyom heyochel, yeyochel, if it will be eaten. Mipsar, if, if it will be eaten, mipsar zebachlomam of the flesh of this peace offering by Yom HaShlishi on the third day, which in this scenario would be Thursday. The game, etc. Not good. So we learn from here, that they are eaten. Two days in one night. What's two days in one night? Tuesday and Wednesday are the two days. Tuesday night is the night. Now, what are we talking about in the peace offering? Are we talking about the Kohen's portion? Are we talking about the donor-owner's portion? The answer is yes. Both the portion of the Kohen and the portion of the donor-owner, they both have the same expiration date. Two days and one night in my scenario. Tuesday, Tuesday night, and Wednesday until sunset. This is not only the law for peace offerings in general of the private person, but of the, for the firstborn as well. The firstborn sacrifice we just talked about has the same expiration time. Omasa, the tithe sacrifice, which are very similar in law to peace offerings. Because for all practical purposes, they are categorized as the lighter form of holy offering, like a peace offering. By the way, every day we recite in prayers prior to Hodu, Ezehu, the Komon Shalzbachim, a series of Mishnah, which covers all of these subjects in very clear, concise form. Zayin however, the thanks offering, the thanksgiving offering, not the one in November. Even though an offering of thanks is also the lesser form of holy, nevertheless it has a different expiration date. Why? Because the Torah says so. Because the Torah says so. This may only be eaten on the day of the offering. with its night. Using my scenario, the offering is brought on Tuesday, Tuesday and Tuesday night. That's finished. Can't go into Wednesday. Because it says with regard to this offering, on the day of the offering it may be eaten. Do not leave over of it until morning. So therefore, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Once Wednesday morning comes around, too late. You eat of it, committing a terrible transgression. The same applies to Ale, the Ram of Nazar of the Nazarite, talked about extensively earlier. The and the breads, which come with them, the rule is the breads have the same law as the meat. Kayetzim are similar. 
Is this the portion of the Kohen or the portion of the donor owner? The answer is yes. Both the portion of the Kohen and the portion of the donor owner. The same law applies to a sin offering, the guilt offering, or the shalmi. And to the communal peace offerings, which we said earlier, are more parallel to the sin and guilt offerings. And the leftover of the meal offerings, Shahakil, all of the above list, Nechel may only be consumed, Liyayim Belaila, during the day offered and that night using my scenario, Tuesday and Tuesday night. Shanamar, as it says, Biyayim Korbona Yachal on the day of the sacrifice. It may be eaten, Kol HaKorbona is Bamishma. It seems that it implies all offerings, Kutz, with the exception of Minashlamim of peace offerings. Why are peace offerings different? Shepetish Mohammed Kosa, because the Torah specifies that peace offerings could be eaten for two days. And the firstborn of the tithing, which are similar to the peace offerings. Now, when we talk about a night, when does the night end? Tuesday and Tuesday night in my scenario. When is the end of Tuesday night? The answer is Wednesday morning. What's Wednesday morning? What time? Anything that we say may only be eaten for that day, Tuesday, and that night, Tuesday night, being Torah by way of Torah, the law of Torah would be that it could be eaten until the dawn's early light, until dawn. Very similar to the nighttime Shema. How long can you recite the nighttime Shema until dawn? However, but in order to distance people from sin, why? Because when you tell somebody you go till dawn, there are some people who always run 20 minutes late. No matter what, they just do. Some people even set their clocks 20 minutes late. So they come 40 minutes late. The rule of thumb is, whenever the Torah mandates dawn, our sages say, better aim for midnight. Then you're going to have this space between midnight and dawn, which in the northern areas, in the summer days, there's not that much time between midnight and dawn. So if you aim for midnight, hopefully you'll finish by dawn. Which means there isn't that much time to eat many offerings. Because again, it takes time to process, to slaughter, to sprinkle the blood, to butcher it, to offer what has to be offered, to cook it. All that takes time. And there, was, there were big lines in the Holy Temple. So sometimes it was only that night that it could be eaten. Now the question is, who can eat it? We've already decided where. Where is Jerusalem? We've already decided when. Now, the question is who? This is like a who, what, when, where. Kol HaKarbonis, all of the offerings, Ben Kochim, Kochim, whether the Holy of Holies, Ben Kochim, Kalim, or the Lesser Holy, only people who are in a state of ritual purity, not the impure, and only the people who are circumcised. If someone is not circumcised, he's automatically disqualified. Furthermore, there are some states of purity which require mikvah immersion, and then you have to wait until the sun sets. And then... The next day, you have to bring an offering. I feel ahead of Shimshah, even if the person who was in a state of ritual impurity, he immersed in the mikvah, the sun set, but for the Hebi Kaparasi, he did not yet bring his offering, which he's going to bring manana tomorrow, he can't eat of the holy, because he did not yet bring his offering. And there are many states of impurity which require a particular offering to be brought before a person is considered pure. For example, a zov, a zova, a person afflicted with taras, a woman who gave birth, a miscarry, all of these people have to immerse in a mikvah, and then they cannot partake of sacrifices until they bring the prescribed offerings which the Torah requires of them. What about someone? We're not sure whether this someone is male or female because the sexual organs are concealed. Also, Lechel, Mikadoshim, may not eat of the holies or Mikadoshim, may not partake of the sacrificial foods. He shows up at Oro because he might be uncircumcised. If he's male, he's uncircumcised. Avalon, Dragon is but an androgynous, which is both male and female. It appears to me, Sheikho, Mikadoshim, Kalim can eat of the lesser level of holy foods, not, of course, of the more serious level. Now here's another interesting law. And that is, what can we do with these holy sacrifices? Do we have to eat them separately? Can we make hamburgers out of them? Can we make chopped meat? What, what can we do with them? Can we put them in a dish, in a casserole? So he says, one is permitted to eat all holy meats, all holy foods. You can put it in any kind of food you want to. I feel like the coin, you may eat their portion. This applies to the lesser holy things, which they can take home in their home in Jerusalem and share with their families. Or the holier offerings they can also have in the base of Nigger. They had their own chef there, Chef Boyardi. And he made them whatever they wanted to. Or the Shang is they can change the menus. One day they can have this, and the other day they can have casserole, and they can have whatever they want to. They can put, uh, mix it with breads, they can mix it with jalapenos, they can put lettuce and tomato, tomato as they say in Brooklyn. Well, the ochlam, they can eat it any way they want to. It's slim roasted. Some people like roasted. Some people like shlukim. Somewhat roasted. Slightly roasted. You know, so raw, it can walk off the plate. Um, we show them some people like it cooked. My mother used to make gedemta flesh, you know, but really slow cooked. What about spices? Can you put spices in? Sure. Can you put non-holy spices in? Sure. When I say non-holy, they're not sacrificed. You're going to put regular spices into sacrifices? Sure. Better you should not put, in fact, you're forbidden to put truma spices. Why? 
because we don't want to cause the tumor spices once the expiration time comes to become forbidden. You're not going to take the permissible and make it forbidden. However, leftover bones, mutares, are permissible. If somebody wants to make some vessels made out of bone, like bone china. Did they really make bone china out of bone? I don't know. Anyway, it's permissible to make anything you want out of the leftover bones. The bones, the bones. What if there was only a little bit of holy food, not even enough for dinner? There's no reason you can't eat with it for dinner. Regular foods, mundane foods, and tumor foods. Why? Because it's not respectful to eat holy food and walk away hungry. It's a shanda for the neighbors. It should be eaten in satiation. You walk away, you're full. Therefore, if you have to add other foods, even tumor foods, it's fine. What if they had a humongous portion, too big? So is it a mitzvah to stuff yourself? No. Then you should not eat regular food with it or tumor. In order that a person should not overeat, overeating is also not a good thing. The same applies for any leftover meal offerings. It's not becoming. So therefore, one should eat only as much as a person should eat. We can't cook. The Kohen can't cook a sin offering or guilt offering with that which is elevated from the thanks offering and the realm of the Nazir. One has an expiration date much later than the other. Don't mix them. Why not? Because then you're just reducing the people who can eat because of the other, the family of the Kohen could eat and of the Holy of Holies only the Kohen could eat and the place as well. The Holy of Holies can only be eaten in the courtyard. The Holy could be eaten anywhere in Jerusalem. So therefore by mixing the two you're only reducing the Holy which has a more liberal law as to who and where. The same thing is you don't mix that which is elevated from the thanksgiving offering and from the ram of the Nazar, together with the firstborn and the thigh, and the breast and thigh of the thanks offering, again, because they have different expiration times, because it reduces the expiration time. You don't mix that which is set aside and elevated from the peace offering of yesterday, which is expiring today, with the sin offering and guilt offering today, which has the same expiration. Yesterday's shlomim and today's sin offering and guilt offering have the same expiration. They both expire tonight. What's wrong with mixing them? Because you're reducing who can eat it. The Shlomim could be eaten by the Kohen's family as well. The Kohen's portion of the Shlomim may be eaten by his family as well. And the place of eating. Because the Kohen could take it home to Jerusalem. If it's a peace offering. But the sin offering and guilt offering has to eat at the holy courtyard. But case in point, sin offering and guilt offering, which have identical limitations, could be cooked together. And the thanks offering and the ram of the Nazarite can be cooked together because they have the same application. And the firstborn because of the shake and the thigh. And the breast and thighs can be mixed because they have the same application. Okay, now comes a whole different law. If somebody cooked a piece of meat from the most sacred level of sacrifices and it was pigul, which means it was forbidden because a thought was had in its preparation. If the Kohen thinks about something that is prohibited, for example, uh, that he's going to eat it after the expiration time, that thought makes the whole sacrifice unfit. Or let me just read from the note here. Meat from a sacrifice that was slaughtered with the intent to sprinkle its blood or for the portions required to be offered on the altar's pyre or partake of its meat in an improper time. So any inappropriate thought of time or one that was no sar, meat that remained after the required time. And he mixes this with other pieces of sacrificial meat. Then those pieces are forbidden to be consumed by Israelites, but permitted to be consumed, consumed by Kohanim. How could it be permitted to be consumed with Kohanim? These are forbidden foods. So the Rambam explains in his commentary the Mishnah that we're talking about a situation where the forbidden is nullified 60 to 1. Which means the pigle piece, or the no sar piece, is nullified 60 to 1, and if it's recognizable, then it is removed. So what's the point? The point is that the meat is permitted only to Kohanim and not to non-Kohanim. Although the prohibitions against people and also have been nullified, <coughs> but since the sacrificial meat was originally to be eaten only by Kohanim, the restriction against non-Kohanim still remains. And this is the simple interpretation of what the Rambam is talking about here. Otherwise, no one would be permitted to eat the actual people or also the actual forbidden foods. We're talking about a situation where the forbidden was nullified one to sixty or less. Yudgimol besar kachim kachim the meat of the holy of holies. A besar kachim kolam or meat of lesser holies. Shenisbasha, which was cooked together in basar or besar taiva with everyday meat. The expression for mundane everyday meat, let's say a barbecue, is called besar taiva, the, the meat of desire. There's holy meat, sacrifice, and then there's, I want meat. It's not a sacrifice, I'm just in the mood. So that's called bread of, uh, meat of desire. So you took holy sacrificial meat, mixed it together with regular meat. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, 
the everyday meat becomes forbidden as well to anybody impure, like the sacrificial offering, because it was cooked together. Neymar Ba'ilah says, with regard to the burnt offering, the hide, the skin, remember, animal skin is a very precious commodity, and that was one of the serious economic benefits of the Kohen, that the Kohen who worked in that particular watch, that particular group of that particular week, divided the skins amongst them. There's a lot of skins, and then they went and uh, they had the uh, mink coats. I'm just kidding, they never sacrificed mink, minks. Unless the Kohen's name was Minkowitz. Neymar Ba'ilah says, with regard to the burnt offering, the hide of the burnt offering, who, wh- whichever Kohen offers it, he keeps it. So the verse suggests the Kohen offers it, he gets it. The Kohen who does the ritual gets to eat it. The Kohen who does the atonement, he gets the skin. The Kohen who sprinkles the blood, he gets to keep the skin. It says with regard to the, uh, I'm sorry, it's not only skin, everything. Whatever is appropriate. The meal offering the Kohen who offers it gets to keep the flour. So does this mean that literally the Kohen who offers the above sacrifices gets to keep it? No. It's all like many restaurants. When you give the waiter a tip, does the waiter get to keep the tip? No. Most restaurants, they pool the tips. And it's divided equally amongst the courteous waiters and the rude waiters. This was pooled in that entire shift, that entire watch of the week. So what is the Torah talking about? The one who offers it, the one who does it. The answer is the one who is fit to do it. One has to be able to do it in order to get of the pool. The Kohen was suited for this work. He gets to be part of the pool. Let's say somebody was not fit to serve at that time because he was impure or what have you. Or he was in Hawaii. He was in a state of impurity. Even if he can rush and become pure by the time evening comes when they're serving dinner, he can't get to eat because at the time of offering, he was not fit to offer. So that means that the one who does it, gets it. The one who is able to do it, gets it. When it comes to division, it all goes to the father's house. We learned earlier that the Kohen were divided into 24 groups called Mishmoros, and every Mishmor is divided into seven groups called base of families. So it goes to the family of that day. The family of that day takes all the goodies of that day, and they pull it, and they do a division. They all divide all of the holy objects in the holy temple. Each man with his brother, Kohen, whether the actual guy sacrificed or his brother, who didn't get to work but was there and could have, but he did not work, it makes no difference. This is what we call pulled. So now in that case, the Rambam poses a question, an interesting question. Why when it comes to flour or meal offerings, the Torah distinguishes between baked meal offerings. When you have a meal offering that's baked, you can go take it and eat it. Like a donut. Or a cookie. There's another meal offering which is raw flour. What is the Kohen going to do with raw flour? You're going to have to bake it. You're going to have to prepare it and bake it. Why does the Torah make a difference? When it comes to the baked meal offerings, he says, any meal offering baked in an oven, should belong to the Kohen who offers it. But there's a different language used by the Torah when it comes to the meal offering of just plain flour, fine flour. Every offering mixed with oil. Shall belong, is that is parched, should belong to the sons of Aaron, Equal Pasqual, Shafuya, because the baked meal offering, Kishachelkin, Esa, Anche, Besa, when the family divides it, Kelshiagilechelke, anybody of that family, let's say there were 50 people in that family, everybody gets a piece. I feel like Pass, even a little olive size of bread, you can eat it, no problem. Shalechelmi, because it's baked, it's ready to eat. Avalas, but if it's fine flour, in the Chalkul, the concern is that if they go divide it between 50 Kanim, how much flour are you going to get everybody? 150. And the guy's going to get maybe a handful of flour. What's he going to do with it? Need it, bake it, it's too little. Because therefore, I would think, Shalechelmi, that would be a much better idea. You see how many meal offerings there are. You have 25 meal offerings, you divide it by 50 people. So you give each two people a meal offering. That makes more sense. Therefore, the Torah says, no, do not do that, even though it makes more sense. Instead of dividing it throughout the entire group, the Torah has to say, even though it doesn't make sense, this is the prescription. It's across the board. It goes to all of the Kohanim. Meaning, it must be divided as one entity. To all the Kohanim working in that shift. 
We do not set aside one mincha opposite another and say, we'll see the numbers and we'll break it up so everybody gets a decent piece. Even something made in a pan, even if you want to divide the different types, but the law and the application is every individual offering, you take the leftovers with and divide it amongst the members of that clan. Every member of that clan who was able to work that day, even though it doesn't make sense. So also when you have dove, pigeon offerings, you know, doves could be pretty small. You take a dove and divide it amongst a bunch of people. So you, that's the, you gotta do it that way. You can't count doves. Sin offering against sin offering, the breast and the thigh. Just line it up to see how many breasts and thighs we have. Divide each one equally. That's what the Torah mandates. You A minor, Cohen, never gets part of the division. Doesn't mean he can't eat it. He just can't get a special portion. He gets it whatever his father wants to give him. Also, a woman, also does not get. We have dragonous or androgynous, and the cloud, they don't get it all in the holy objects of the of the Bigdash. Which means that the only people we talked about this earlier who receive the holy of holies in the base of Bigdash are male Kohanim who are fit to serve that day. But the exception is Abel Balmum, we talked about this earlier, a blemish Kohen who may not serve, Ben Kavua, whether his blemish is permanent or his blemish is transient and passing, whether he was born with his blemish, or he was a whole person. And he became blemish, a blemished Kohen may not serve, but he may eat. Shanam, as it says, Lechem Elikov, the bread of his God, Mikotia Kodoshim of the Holy of Holies, he may eat, but then etc. Who provided that? Shiroi Lachile should be fit to eat. He has to be ritually pure. Abel Mayotomi, but if he was impure, and Chilik Lecho, even if he's going to become pure by dinner time, he cannot participate because he was not pure at the time of the service. What about the high priest? We learned earlier the high priest has the freedom to take anything he wants to, anytime. He doesn't have to stand online. The Chayim Godel, the high priest, Ochel, can eat any portion he wants to. Shalai Bachaluka, he doesn't have to be part of the division. He has free reign, he can come in and take whatever he wants. That's what makes him a high priest. You're jealous? You become the high priest. Anyone who's fit to eat of the holy at the time can divide and eat. Anybody who's not fit to eat at the time of the service, he's fit to serve, but not to eat. And he will be fit to eat later. And he can't be part of the division. To put away for later cases, what's an example of that? Somebody who immersed in the mikvah that day, and waiting for the sun to set, or lacking atonement, or someone who had a loss in the immediate family that day, whether the high priest who may serve and not eat, or a regular Kohen who may not even serve, and by the time evening comes, he's going to be okay to eat, but being that he wasn't okay to offer, he's not okay to eat later. Anybody who's not fit to eat is not fit to serve. The exception of that rule is the high priest who is a bereaved mourner, having lost someone that day. We learn from the story with Aaron, with the loss of his sons, and Moshe got upset at him. Why didn't you offer? He's allowed to offer, but he's not allowed to eat. Moshe says, Why didn't you offer? Aaron says, I couldn't eat. To make sure Aaron was explained, anybody who's not fit to serve, is not fit to eat. With the exception of the blemish going, he's the exception mentioned earlier in 17. Shining his parish, because it was specified in the Torah, 21. Anybody who doesn't get the meat, doesn't get to divide, to, to, to be part of the division of the meat, does not get to be part of the division of the skins. Even if somebody was impure at the time of the sprinkling of the blood, he's pure at the time of the smoking of the fats. No good. He cannot be part of the division. It says, the one who can offer, or in our translation, the one who is fit to offer the blood of the burnt of the peace offerings, low to him, he shall be, the right thigh, as a portion. He has to be number one, ritually pure, fit to serve. Mishas Zika from the moment of the sprinkling, which is the beginning of the ritual, Ad Akhar Hekr until after the smoking of the fats. What if he became impure after the sprinkling of the blood? And then he immersed by the and he's pure, even when the fats are smoked, because usually they go up the altar and there's a big line there and so on. So being that he was pure at the time of the sprinkling. Being that he's again pure at the time of the burning of the fast, but he wasn't in between. We're not sure if, he divide, if he's part of the division or not. If he grabbed the portion, then we don't take it away from him, but to begin with, he should not be given a portion. And finally, 23. The rule is that if the majority of the community finds itself in a state of impurity, then certain offerings may be brought in a state of impurity because the majority of the community is impure. So the law is that if the majority of the community is impure and an offering was brought, even though, theoretically, those who are impure may even offer it. They cannot divide and be part of the division to eat. Because they may bring the offering theoretically, but they may never eat of it. Because an impure Kohen is never fit to eat. And here the situation is that they found a few Kohenim who were pure. They were able to offer it. And even though 
the people would be fit to partake of it in the evening, but being that they were impure, they're not permitted to eat, because to eat it, to eat, one always must be in a state of ritual purity. End of chapter 10. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchis Maseh, the laws of the procedure of sacrifices. Pedic Achad chapter 11. Aleph 1, this is one of the shorter chapters of the Rambam. It only has nine paragraphs. One, we know that a burnt offering has to be smoked on the altar, has to be offered on the altar. It's not eaten. That's why it's called a burnt offering. What if somebody eats even an olive's worth or more of the meat of the burnt offering, which meat of burnt offering is never eaten? Whether he eats of this burnt offering before the sprinkling of the blood ritual, or eats of this offering after the sprinkling of the blood ritual, he is liable under the right circumstances to receive lashes, which means he has to be warned and witnessed and so on. Shanem, as it says, the verse says, you may not eat in your gates. Masa, the tithing of the goncha, your grains, your oils and your wine, etc. You can't eat in your courts. So, although this does not suggest this literally, but from tradition we learn, that being that this seems to be superfluous, this is an admonition for someone who will go and eat the meat of a burnt offering. Because the last term, I believe, is understood to refer to a burnt offering. Bays, Bechelba, what about its fat? Ubisar and its meat, Besalfa and its flour, Besham and its oil, Beyayin and the wine, Shalm, Nisachel, of its libations. We learned earlier that there is flour and oil and wine, which are all part of the general term libations. Chamishna, these five fat, meat, flour, oil, and wine, Mitzdarkin can combine to the total of the minimum of the Kazayas of the olives worth to be culpable. So if you have a little bit of each, it could, be, it could add up to an olive's worth for culpability. Gimel, Bechayin, Oichel, Kazayas, Mikol, Oimun, and so also. There are certain parts designated to be offered on the altar. What if somebody eats? A minimum of an olive's worth of those parts. Whether it's before the blood has been sprinkled ritually on the altar, whether it's a Kohen who does it, Israel, or an Israelite who does it, either way, Lekai is susceptible, he's liable to lashes. Why? Because the parts that have to be smoked on the altar should be completely consumed on the altar, like the rest. It says with the meal offering of the Kohen, totally smoked on the altar, Lekai should not be eaten, anything that is consumed wholly on the altar, which means totally consumed on the altar, and when one goes and eats it, one violates a negative commandment, and there could be lashes, because I, as long as one exceeds the volume of an olive. Also, if somebody eats in excess of the volume of an olive, mipsar from the meat, not only of the burnt offering, but chatois on the of those sin offerings. Which ones? The special category of those that are taken outside to the ash pile and burned, loke receives lashes under certain circumstances. And as it says, any sin offering where its blood is brought into the beis <coughs> itself, which are these category, may not be eaten, but it must be burned in fire. This guy went and ate it. Anybody who eats at least an olive's worth of any meat of the holy, I feel a culture even the lesser category of holy, like the peace offering. Well, what's wrong with that? Peace offering is made to eat. What's wrong is, the ritual of blood sprinkling was not yet done, so you're jumping the gun. Like he could be liable for lashes. You may not eat in your gates. That's not built. The tithing of your grains, wines, oil, and your offerings. You may not eat your free will offerings. Before the blood is sprinkled on the gates of Hashem. Or of the place. The Piyash Molando from tradition we learned to This is an admonition to anyone who eats of the thanks offering. I just want them with the peace offering. Pay them because done before the sprinkling of the blood. It's not kosher. You can't eat of the thanks or peace offering before the blood is sprinkled. And if you do, it's a serious prohibition. You got to wait till after the ritual of blood sprinkling. What in the Shachar The same applies to all other holy offerings. Ben Kalim Ben Chamurim are the lesser category, such as peace offerings or firstborn or tithing or paschal. Ben Chamurim are the more serious ones. <coughs> Like Ola, Chatos, Hashem, like the burnt offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the Shishad Dwarim, the six components of the thanks offering, Shehem, which include Hachela of the fat, Babasan and the meat, Baselos of the divine flour, Vashem and the oil, Ayan and the wine, Malechem and the bread. Kulam is Tarkul Kazais, they can all add up and make the minimum consumption prohibition of the olives worth. Hey, five, Kalechel Kazais, Tarkochi, Kodashim Chutzwaz are another prohibition. Here, this prohibition is somebody who eats at least an olives worth of the flesh of the Holy of Holies outside the temple courtyard. What's the problem? It's Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies can never be eaten outside the temple courtyard. Lekha is liable for Lesh, Shanam says, Lesukha, Lekha Bishar, he brings down the same verse. You may not eat in your gates, an admission of to one who eats, Mipsar of the flesh, Chatois of sin offerings, Vashamis and guilt offerings, where? Chutz Lazara. He's a Kohen, he's allowed to eat it, it's the right time, but it's the wrong place. He went outside the temple courtyard, no good. Well, I think the same law applies, If somebody will eat the lesser category of holiness, such as a thanks 
or peace offering outside his permitted boundary. What's the permitted boundary of the lesser level of holy offerings? The whole Jerusalem. He goes and he wants to eat it in Tel Aviv. Why? Because that's where his cousin Gertrude lives. He wants to bring Gertrude to stake. Shalake is liable to lashes under the proper conditions. And here's the bottom line. The wall surrounding Jerusalem, the Kodoshim column, is for the lesser level of holy sacrifice. Shechemus, like the wall, Hazorah, of the courtyard, the Kodoshim, for the super, the higher level of holiness. And that applies to the flesh of the sin offering, guilt offering, or the leftover meal offerings. Above six, any flesh, any meat of the holy of holy sacrifices, which for some reason found its way out of the temple courtyard, no good. Houston, we got a problem. Or, parallel, the flesh of the lesser level of holiness, that was taken outside the gates of Jerusalem, which is the same issue for the lesser level of holiness. Jerusalem is like the courtyard. And if so, the bottom line is, is if these sacrifices went outside their prescribed geographical boundary for the holy of holies, the courtyard, for the holy Jerusalem, and if so, it becomes unfit. Venesar and prohibited to Olam forever and ever and ever. And they used to tell me when I was a kid, forever is a very long time. Even though it went back into its place, to Cohen, Ray, Will, I know you, I put it out of the courtyard, I'm back now. Or the guy said, oh, yeah, really, I'm back. Also, luckily, still, it's always forbidden to eat. Why? Because it crossed the border, the boundary. If somebody eats even an olive's worth, Lekha can be, is under certain circumstances lashed. Shana, as it says. And here, there's another verse which is interpreted by tradition. The literal meaning of the verse is meat in the field that is in a condition of trefa, of unkosher, referring to roadkill, an animal that dies on its own, or an animal that can't live for 12 months on its own. You may not eat. From here we learn that as soon as flesh is taken outside of its prescribed geographical boundary, it becomes, for all practical purposes, like the trefa. As soon as it has been explained in great detail in the earlier laws of forbidden foods, the word field here connotates the inappropriate place for this sacrifice. What if another accident happens, another situation develops, where it's regular sacrifices, like a thanksgiving offering or a peace offering, that found its way into the holy temple itself. Peace offerings or thanksgiving offerings have no business in the holy temple. Everything is done in the courtyard. For some reason, it entered into the holy temple. And it's a kosher, it's still kosher. It should be done, but it doesn't make it unfit. Ches 8. Zor, what if a... Zor, the word Zor means an alien. A stranger. Doesn't necessarily mean somebody from Mars. But somebody who is alien to this food. If only a Kohen can eat it, a non-Kohen is an alien. And Israelite who ate an olive's worth or more of the flesh of the Holy of Holies. In the courtyard, after the sprinkling of the blood. So all is good. What's the problem here? The problem is he's not a Kohen. If he was a Kohen, it would all be good. He's an Israelite. He's liable for lashes under certain circumstances. The ones who made the atonement, meaning the Kohen can eat it. The alien, the non-Kohen may not eat. The David, etc. In the place where the Kohen could eat. And only the time that he can eat. If the Israelite ate like he could be lashed. Why? Only because he's not a Kohen. However, if the non-Kohen ate of the meat of the Holy of Holies outside the prescribed area, he could be liable for lashes because of that, because he ate outside the area, but he does not receive the lashes because he's a non-Kohen who ate of the Holy. Because the Kohen can't even eat it there. It has to be possible for the Kohen to eat it in order for the Israelite to violate it. So also if the Israelite ate it in the courtyard, the right place, the problem is the wrong time, if the blood was not ritually sprinkled yet, the only violation that he receives lashes for is because he ate before the sprinkling. It's not because he's an Israelite, because the Kohen also was not able to eat before the sprinkling. And finally, nine, Zor, an Israelite, Sha'ochal Kazayas, who ate an olive's worth, Mechatos of the sin offering which comes from fowl, from a bird, this dove, or pigeon. Sin offerings are not eaten, and an Israelite went and ate it. Lakish Dayan here, he is liable to double lashes, double trouble. Why? As I used to say when I was studying in Paris, Pourquoi? Pasque. Why? Because. But the Rabbah gives us because. Because why? Achas Mishum Zor, number one, sin number one, is because he's an Israelite. Sha'ochal Kazayas, you ate holy. Israelites shouldn't eat holy foods, as we learned before. The Achas. And furthermore, and, and again, we learned that the Kohen was also forbidden to eat it because it's a... No, no, he's an Israelite. And the Achas, and here's a novel approach, because he's eating food that is not kosher. For all practical purposes, a bird that is ritually offered in the Beis Hamigdash is offered, as we learned extensively earlier, not with a traditional shkita, but with Malika, where the Kohen takes his fingernail and runs it across the nape of the neck, and that's the way he severs the head, or, or he severs the simonim, depending upon what particular sacrifice. This Malika is never used for eating regular meat. So for eating regular meat, it's also trafe. It's also not kosher. Because Shekol Malika Nebele, other than for the prescribed sacrifice, Malika is as if the animal died on its own. 
permitted this ritual. the Torah permitted for the coin of that particular sacrifice. never for an Israelite. An Israelite may never eat Therefore, although there is a general rule in Torah, we've talked about this many, many times, that we never suffer two punishments for the same act, but there are certain exceptions. One of those exceptions is when the prohibitions come simultaneously. In this case, the two prohibitions, the prohibition of an Israelite eating of a sin offering and the prohibition of an Israelite eating of something that's not kosher for him, came together. Jamesha Biyano, as we explained, and he brings down here in the note, and I'll take another minute, that we learned earlier, we learned specifically in Hilchah Sisuribia, chapter 17, halacha 8, that there's a major principle, a general principle, which applies to all of the Torah's prohibitions. And we talked about this extensively earlier. One prohibition does not take effect when another prohibition is in effect. Unless three possibilities come in. One, possibility one, both of the prohibitions take effect at the same time, which is our case. B, the later prohibition forbids additional entities besides the entity that was originally prohibited, which means it adds on to the scope of the prohibition. That's not our case. C, the scope of the later prohibition encompasses other entities together with the entity that was originally prohibited. In our case, it's A, that both the prohibitions take place at the same time, which is why he is liable for double lashes. End of chapter 11. Rambam Mishneh Torah, Hilchis, Masei HaKarbonus, the laws of procedures of sacrifices. Pedic Shneim Osar, chapter 12. Till now, <coughs> up to now, we've talked about animal sacrifices, by and large. Now he says, in Aleph, paragraph 1, Amenachis, what we call meal offerings, flower offerings, heim min hakarbonas, are part of the general category of sacrifices, which means all of the meal offerings, they're also sacrifices. Even though we think of them, they're flour. Wheat flour. When we talk about the meal offerings that come independently, and we're not talking about the ones that are part of the libations. Earlier we learned that many sacrifices require meal, flour, and wine. So that is a secondary component to an animal sacrifice. But there are many meal offerings which come independently, not as libations. Mayhem of them, there are two categories. Minchas Tzibur, one is called a communal meal offering, which is brought by the community, or mayhem, and then there is another category, Minchas Yochid, the meal offering of the individual, and there are two separate categories, communal and individual. All meal offerings are so less chitim, of flour, of wheat, of the finest caliber, grade AAA. Chutz, the exception of this, to this rule, Mimin Chasota is the meal offering of the adulterous woman, which was not brought from wheat, it was brought from barley. The Omer Atnufa and the Omer offering is also Shehemin Asaorim, which are barley, and there's actually a reason given. It says, with regard to the adulterous woman, she acted in an animal like fashion, let her bring animal food. Barley is more animal food. And with regard to the Omer offering, the Jewish people were still at the animal stage, they had not yet grown emotionally and character wise. So that is the reason these two exceptions are brought from barley, otherwise it's always wheat, which is called machel odom, human food, relative to barley, which is categorized as the food of an animal. Gimel, sholeish, minachish, litzibur. So we talked about category A, and that is communal meal offerings. What do we have? We have omer, atnufa. We have the omer, which is waved and lifted. That particular omer is offered upon the altar. Kamesh is by it, as we will explain, because not every meal offering is offered on the altar. This one is offered on the altar. Then we have the famous two breads, which are brought on Shavuos. This is the first meal offering of the year. The Elo Nikra Mincha, and this is called meal offering. The Ein and Kreidim Lagabi Amizbeach, this is not offered on the altar. The Hein Chomets, and this particular offering is leaven. It's Chomets. Regarding this, it says, Korban Reish is the offering of beginnings. Takribo you shall offer them Lashem to God, which refers to the Shei Halechem. The El Hamizbeach Leyalu, but it shall not ascend up to the altar. This particular offering is not brought up to the altar. The Hamincha Ashlishishu, and the third meal offering, Hulechem Aponim, is what we call the showbread which was put on the shulchan, on the showbread table. Shaolsin, this was made, how often? Once a week. The Chol Shabbos, every Shabbos, the Eina Krav, the Gabi Amizbech, was never offered on the altar. Elakulay, all of the showbreads, once their period expired, Nechol, they were eaten, they were consumed, lakonim, by the Kohanim. Kameshi is as we will explain. So when we talk about three communal meal offerings, meal offering number one is the Omer, meal offering number two are the two breads of Shavuos, meal offering number three are the twelve breads weekly. Dalid, paragraph four, the Tesha, Minchis HaYochid, in the second category, which are the private individual meal offerings. There are nine types. The Kulan Kreib, and Lamizbech, all nine are offered upon the altar. And these are they. One, Minchas Chaita, the sin offering of a person who is obligated to bring a sin offering because he sinned. 
Behi, and this would be Hamincha, the meal offering. Shemakrib Haoni, which the poor man brings. Kishi is high of Katas when he's obligated to bring us in offering. Vilay Sagia Yodo, and he can't afford it. We learned that there are three categories. A person who can afford it brings an animal. A person who is less affordable brings a bird. And a person who can't even afford a bird, a bird brings some flour. So that's the first category. The poor man's meal offering. The second is Mincha Sota, the meal offering of an adulterous woman. He also called Mincha Saknois, the offering of jealousy. We already covered this because we went through all the laws of the adulterous woman. Then there is number three, Hamincha, the meal offering. Every Kohen, when he's inducted into the Kohanic service, he has to bring an induction offering. That's a flower offering, a meal offering. He actually offers it with his hands. He and this offering on the Christ is called Mincha Schinuch. It's an initiation offering. You want to be a Kohen? You need to bring the initiation offering. It's a one time deal. You bring it the first time, you act as a Kohen. First time you're in service. Then there is a similar offering of the high priest, but unlike the regular Kohen, you know how often the high priest brings this offering? Regular Kohen brings it once. The high priest brings it. He brings it daily. Every single day, the Kohen Gogol has to bring this meal offering. It's like a corny joke they used to tell when I was a kid. This guy said, I'm going to Chicago. He says, what are you going to do in Chicago? He says, I'm going to see the mayor daily. And that's called the offering of the Kohen Gogol of Chavitim. Again, it's a daily offering. Every day the Kohen Gogol brought then there is Minchas Hasolas, the fine flower offering, the Hiba Benedra This brings when an individual makes a vow saying, I will bring a meal offering, or an Adoba, I will bring this flower as a meal offering. Minchas Hamachvas. Then there is a flat pan flower offering. The flower offerings come in various styles. The Hiba Benedra that's a free will offering. Minchas Hamarcheshes, the deep pan offering, sizzling in oil. That's why you don't have a lot of time, you don't have a lot of money. The Hiba, that was a joke, and a bad one, obviously. The Hiba, Benedu, Benedu, again, a free will offering. Minchas Ma'afei Tamur, baked oven hearth, baked in the oven. The Hiba, Benedu, Benedu, is a contribution. And then there is Minchas Rikikin, the way for meal offering. The Hiba, Benedu, Benedu, spelled out in great detail in the Chumash and Leviticus, the various choices that the person has when he wants to bring a flour offering. He can either do it plain flour, he can do it pan, on the pan surface, he can do it deep fried, he can do it wafer. There are various options we have when we bring meal offerings. So he enumerated nine types. Hey, five, call All of the meal offerings brought upon the altar in Kalachman They always have. The volume of any sorain. If you're missing a little bit, it disqualifies, it prevents the whole thing from being kosher. Five of these, the isoron is the volume is a minimum. However, a person, more than any isoron, can offer as much as he wants to. A person can even offer a thousand isoron. There's no limit as to how much, as long as you meet the minimum requirement. But the meal offering of the omer, and the meal offering of the sin offering, and the adulterous woman offering, and the induction offering of the kohen and the daily offering of the kohen gadol. These are not free will offerings, therefore they have a specific volume. Each one must be an isoran echad, only one isoran. No flexibility in the volume, no less and no more. Every meal offering that is brought to the altar must be brought to the altar on its western side of the altar, facing the tip of the southwest corner. There must be an offering of frankincense for each meal offering, whether the meal offering was a volume of one isoran, or it was a maximum volume that that vessel could contain, 60 isoran, we still have the same one fistful of frankincense. In one time offering, it can never be more than 60 isorans, because that was the maximum size vessel. That was the, the Costco size vessel, was the 60 isorans. With the exception of the meal offering of jealousy, which is the adulterous woman meal offering, the sin offering, on those, they have to be plain. No oil and no frankincense. What if somebody placed oil and frankincense on these offerings that should not have them? Leke is liable for lashes, for the violation of placing oil in and of itself. is again liable for placing frankincense. What if he places a vessel that has oil and frankincense upon it? He doesn't transgress. He doesn't disqualify. The induction offering and the daily offering of the Each one does get the addition of oil, as it will be explained. Every meal offering that is brought to the altar, a fistful of it is taken and placed on the altar. What does he do with the fistful? He causes it to smoke. It's cool, the entire fistful of flour. But there's a lot more than a fistful. The remaining flour, Nechel, could be eaten, is eaten by the coin of a work that shift. Chutz, 
The exception is Minchas Zichrei Kahuna, the meal offering of any male Kohen who will bring a meal offering. She'ain on Yikmetzes. There's an exception rule here, and that is a fistful is not taken. El Makhtir Neisakula. Why is the fistful not taken and smoked on the altar? Because the whole thing is smoked on the altar. Shenamar Bechol Minchas Kohen. Any Kohen who brings a meal offering, an exception rule applies. The whole thing is smoked on the altar. Halamadet Hashem Minchas Chinuk Machabitim. So from here we learn. That the meal offering of induction, the habit in the meal offering, the daily offering of the coin godel, the kain shavi minchas chayta, or a coin who brings a sin offering, a minchas nedaba, or a coin who brings a free will offering, any coins offering, kul on the shreifas agave, or kul on the shreifas agave, the zbeach, are all consumed upon the altar. The anon nikmatzis and a fistful is not taken because the whole thing is placed on the altar. You the ten hakohenes. What about a female kohen? The fistful is taken of her offering, just like it's taken from an Israelite. So the Kohen rule does not apply to a Kohenet. And the balance of the flower is consumed like you would do with an Israelite. What if sons, babies, children from the Kohen family were mixed up? You know, kids get mixed up in the hospital. Today they have all kinds of bands they put on. Before the kid is born, he's wearing a band already. That's because, uh, you know, you shouldn't get mixed up in the hospital. They didn't even have hospitals then. Vlades children Shinisarbu, Kohen children got mixed up with Israelite children. So one of these kids is a Kohen. But they collect on themselves each child is a doubt and then he grows up. Are you a Kohen or are you not a Kohen? Maybe. It's a definite maybe. Minchas on Nikmetz Kiminchas Israel. Then their meal offering, the fistful, should be taken and smoked on the altor. It should be treated as if they are Israelites. They and Achelis Kiminchas Kohen, they're not eaten like the meal offering of a Kohen Kate's So what do they do? I can't describe it The fistful is smoked alone, but you can't eat the balance. Vashirayim, Vispazin, Abbe Sadesh, and the rest is spread out over the ash heap. So it has the stringency of both. Only a fistful is offered on the altar as if they were Israelites, but it's not eaten as if they were Israelites. Rather, it's spread over the ash heap. Yudbeis, Kohen, Israel, Kohen. What about women married to Kohen? Mrs. Cohen, vain Kohenes, whether she was originally as a young woman a Kohen, daughter of a Kohen, so she was an Israelite, the remainder of their meal offering is not eaten. Because of the portion of the husband that's not eaten. Neither is it burned on the altar. Because again, we're talking about the wives of these mixed up kids. The fistful is offered separately. Remainder is positive. The is spread over the yeshit. Where can this fistful be put? All over the courtyard. It is not desirable, but kosher. A meal offering may even be consecrated, not only by holding this container, but also placing it on the ground. And then you can take the fistful from this container sitting on the ground. Even though it's not the best way to do it, but it's, technically it works. However, a handful may not be consecrated in a container placed on the ground. When can the remainder be eaten? We said the coin meet the remainder. Once the flames have begun to consume the majority of the fistful, the balance can start, can begun to be, can be begun to be eaten by the coin. As a rule, all meal offerings offered on the altar must be maintained in a matzah state, non chomet non-leavened state. So it's like kosher for Pesach, all year round. So also the leftover meal offering, which the coin consume, which the coin consume, even though they may eat it in any mixture which they would like, they can even add sweet things to it. Nevertheless, what they cannot do is eat it in a chomet form, in a leavening form. It has to have, has to be maintained as a matzah-like food. As it says specifically in the Torah, it should not be baked in a chomet form. Their portion, the rest of the verse says, I've given as a gift to the coin. Even the coin's part may not become chomet. What if the balance of this meal offering not smoked on the altar became chomet? Okay, the coin is susceptible for lashes. What if the coin, or somebody made it chomet, leavening, and then somebody comes along and does the same thing? The second person is guilty as well. Every time you expose this flower to leavening, you, the person transgresses a separate transgression. Test, well, for example, Gateside. For example, Lasha Chomets, if he needed it in a Chomets form, hey, Aracha, or he prepared it, Chomets in a Chomets form, hey, Kitva Chomets, or he shaped the loaves in a manner of Chomets, hey, Apa Chomets, or he baked his Chomets, every one of these stages, Loka receives Lasha, Shanam, Lasha, Lasha, Chomets, it should not be made Chomets, Shanam, Lasha, Chomets, it should not be baked Chomets, Chayev, to cause to be culpable, a Chomets, for every deed, every single deed, Shabbat, which is done with this, also Chomets, 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 like, from beginning to end, like, Chomets, every deed he does, he exposes himself to Lashes. What if he put leavening on top of the dough? And he went to the movies. I'm just kidding about the movies. He went to Starbucks. And it's Hamza Meila, and it became comments on its own. He didn't do it, it became comments on its own. Like he's liable for lashes. Because placing the leavened substance, the yeast, upon it is a deed. What if he dip the remainder of the meal offering in caraway or sesame seed or any type of spice or oil? It's kosher. Matzah, because it still is in the form of matzah. None of the above makes it comments. Now it's spiced up matzah. Matzah bright. 
person who causes a meal offering that was for some reason disqualified to become chametz. Partly that person is exempt because it's not a real meal offering was disqualified. Only the meal offerings that can be offered to Hashem, should not be made into chametz. It has to really be kosher to be given to Hashem. not disqualified. What if he made a chametz while it's still a kosher meal offering? Then it left the confines of the parameter where it may be. So it becomes unfit. Then he makes it chametz again, and you're like now the second time he's not liable for lashes because it's now unfit. If it becomes chametz at the head of the altar, and Eloka, he does not get lashish, which you shall offer for Karavazu, this was already offered, it's on the altar. The Kshayan is still in a state of Kashrut, when it's placed on the altar, you pass on chametz, left on upon him. If somebody makes the showbreads, chametz, like he's also liable for lashish, and all the offerings, Abel, however, Minchas Nisachim, any meal offering that is merely part of a libation of a greater sacrifice, and Bamal, because there is no liability for lashish. If he needed it with water, he mixed it with water, and he gives it to the it becomes unfit before it becomes chametz, and he if he used the oil of them, libations may pay the same, it's like fruit. Juice, it does not cause it to become chametz. The weak kernels of meal offerings and leitzin, they're not soaked in case they become chametz. Because outside the temple yard, courtyard, you would soak them. Not everybody is careful in watching them. But the owner, being that is communal, it can be soaked. Because community watches each other, everybody does it quickly. All meal offerings which are baked should be mixed with lukewarm water. They should be guarded that they should not become leavened, even though lukewarm water will serve as a catalyst to cause the dough to leaven even faster. But since the Kohanim inside the temple courtyard are performing the service, we're not concerned. In general, Kohanim is reason, the Kohanim always act with alacrity, and there is a team of Kohanim watching each other. Being that they are needed and baked, inside in the courtyard, the Kohanim will work on the inside of the courtyard, are filled with alacrity, and they're careful, and so on. The place where the most holy sacrifices are cooked. Like the sin offering and guilt offering, that's where they bake the meal offering. In the same place where they will cook the guilt offering and the sin offering, that's where they will bake the meal offering, etc. The last paragraph of this chapter. As a rule, the grinding and sifting of the flour from meal offerings is performed outside the temple courtyard. The and all of the above acts, shade our kosher, bizarre, even with a non kohen when do we require a coin once you come to the point of taking the fistful that's already the coin's job and there were the various pans for the fried and deep fried offerings of flour in the courtyard they're all from holy designated vessels and they make them holy was traditionally fashioned out of metal it could not be made of earthenware because of this being that it is a sacred utensil and these things are sanctified so the earthenware would always present a problem as we learned earlier end of chapter 12